This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Journey of Unity number 14. So this idea tonight is, on the one hand, an extremely, I will say, it's a game changer. It's something which really can change your marriage. Very powerful idea. Uh, at the same time, I... I realized as I was preparing this that in order to fully get this idea and fully digest this idea, I think a person has to be somewhere. You can't you can't be nowhere. This is not going to work during Shavuot. Your marriage has to be at a certain place to be able to fully grasp and understand this idea. And I also want to say that I'm not referring to anybody in particular, but you know, there's a lot of marriage ideas which focus on conflict resolution, right? Like don't fight and if you're fighting and how to fight and how to not fight and all those ideas, let's agree to disagree and all these wonderful ideas, compromise and veto and all these other ideas. But what I hope that you're getting from these classes, at least for me, this is what was very transformative when I started learning marriage was that you don't have to fight so much and you don't have to figure out how to fight so much. The idea of building a marriage is, is building something which is so deep and so complex that hopefully you don't even have to think about the fighting part as much as understanding the panemius, like the real panemius of what you can build in a marriage. So today we're going to hopefully take, you know, the idea that we talk about all the time, cash our connection, and take this to a level which is, is extremely deep. So hopefully we can we can get there as much as we possibly can. But if you can't, then at least have this as a target in your 100-year marriage career to try to at least obtain something within this realm. So before we start, just ask a simple question. Um, I, I ask this a lot and I get a double standard answer, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Should a husband be involved in his wife's clothing? Most women would probably argue no. Right. Should a should a wife be involved in her husband's clothing? Many women tend to feel the answer is yes. Right. Um, should a wife be involved in her husband's learning? What he's learning? When he's learning? I think many people would agree. Probably the answer is no. You'd agree to that? Probably no. Right. Shouldn't. Right. Shouldn't. Right. Shouldn't be. Okay. I'm making sure. I'm just asking. I'm asking for a friend. Okay. We'll get there. Right. It's right. What does involved mean? Okay. Good. 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 She had a good college teacher. Okay. So what does that mean? So so let's let I want to unpack this a little bit, okay? Because in most areas, I think, and and this is a really a life changing idea, is the concept of the Venn diagram, and a lot of college teachers teach this. This is based on 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 a model which is a really brilliant mo model, which basically says that if you take two rings and you overlap those rings, then in a certain sense you create a third ring, right? You have the outer rings, which is the man side of the equation. And those things pertain specifically to him. And then you have the woman side of the equation on the other side, which is things that pertain exclusively to her. And then you have the, the joint ring in the middle, which is the stuff which pertains to both of them. And in many marriages, what seems to go off is that people are stepping out of their ring. They're stepping into the wrong ring or they're taking something which is exclusive to one party and they're pulling it into the joint. And that's not. That's not right. And this idea, if you've never heard it, is something which I think if you analyze your relationship, you'll see that 
this happens a lot. It could be very, very small from a woman going over to her husband and perhaps like straightening his tie or brushing off his dandruff or, or asking a question which happens to pertain to that person's ring. It has nothing to do with you. And there's so many, so many elements in this, like a personal, a, a person's personal growth or the way that, for example, a husband wants to connect with one of their children, you know, to take them on a specific date or go on a specific outing. Like th- those kinds of things are, are very, or if he wants to splurge, he wants to get himself something for lunch. Again, I'm not saying him versus her, but these ideas are, are really transformative. If you think about it, there's, there's him. Let, let him live his life. Let him eat the foods that he prefers. Let him make the decisions that he wants to make. And let him relate to the children that he wants. Let him have his own values in his own world, I'll say. Let him learn whatever masachta he wants to learn or machshava or whatever the case might be. Because that's him. It's exclusive to him. And I think we can, we can recognize that, right? Versus things being ex- like joint. Those things might be like the, com- like the, the company, the, the family's finances, right? Those are joint. The chinuch, the, the face that you put forth towards your children, right? you speak with one voice. Um, et cetera, et cetera. I think we could, we could differentiate pretty clearly between things which from like a Venn diagram perspective, it's, it's pretty clear. And again, I, I think that if many couples that struggle, if they would think it through, they would realize how often their annoyance at their spouse comes about because their spouse stepped into an area that they didn't feel was supposed to be joined. So we, we literally could spend an hour on that, but I, I don't want it. I don't want to. I want to just present that as a as an understood fact, the concept of the Venn diagram as a as a basis. But what the Venn diagram seems to imply is that there's him and there's her, and then there's the middle stuff. And we have to identify which of those things are the middle stuff. So that leads us to this week's part, this week's parsha, this week's uh pasuk, yeah. And in th- what is this week's pasuk? So the pasuk it says as follows: It says, "Noide b'sha'arim b'ila, im zikne aretz," which means you have a husband, and he's sitting by the gates. Her husband, the Ashes Chayel's husband, is recognized, he's known by the gates. Why by the gates? We'll talk about that in a minute. When he's sitting with the elders of the land. So what does that mean that he's recognized? People recognize him. They're like, oh, you're famous, you're well-known. What does that mean that he's recognized? So Rashi says an interesting taich over here, an interesting chat. Rashi says that what this means is, is that this husband is sitting by the gate and people come over to him and they go, wow, like, you're really dressed very well. Your clothing, like you have a certain, certain, certain pizzazz to your clothing. His clothing has a certain royalty, certain, certain touch. And he, the husband will turn back to the people and say, oh yeah, my wife bought it for me or my wife made it for me. There's like this involvement that the wife has in her husband's clothing, right? So Rashi says, yeah, and it, he'll become recognized. It's almost like a touch, like a flare. Like some people, they dress more, you know, down or they don't dress as stylish, perhaps. He does. The husband of this Asia style, he dresses with a certain class. And everybody comes over and they recognize it and they realize it's not coming from him. Clearly, he says, no, no, it's not me. It's my wife. My wife. She had the touch. She picked out this tie. She picked out my shoes. She's the one who, who dressed me up today. And that's how, that's how he's recognized. So it seems like here, a little bit interesting, a little bit different than our Venn diagram, right? Because we just said that most people would say that that's him. 
right? Husband gets up in the morning. He wears what he wears. That's exclusively his. She gets up in the morning. She wears what's exclusively hers. Comes along Rashi, and Rashi says, not so fast. The husband goes out. He's sitting by the gates with all these Akanim. And people are coming over, and they're like, wow. You know, you look really good. And he's like, yeah, my wife, she she picked this out. She made it for me. She sewed it for me. Sounds like she's sort of stepped into this side of the Venn diagram that she wasn't supposed to be here. So I think the answer is a profound answer. And I think that it's it's a delicate answer and it has to be thought through slowly. And I, I want to demonstrate this with a true story. So a few years ago, I was on a Pesach program with Rabbi Zachariah Wallerstein, and this is Jackie B. Cohen, and there were others who were there as well. And one night, they decided that they're making a panel for talking about Shalom Bayes. There were a lot of questions that came up, a lot of lively discussions. People were agreeing and disagreeing about different things. And somebody from the crowd, during like a lull, like a break within the questions, they scream out a question. And the question was, it was almost said as a joke, but they said, if my wife gets dressed and she turns to me after she gets dressed and she says, honey, do I look fat in this? And in the back of my mind, I actually think that she does look fat. What should I say? Should I be honest with her or should I just say something that will just pacify? That was his question. So some panelists said, like, I, like, I'm not even going to address the question. They thought it was like a joke where they were like, you know, if somebody asks if they look fat, like, you know. And Rabbi Wallerstein, who's a fire Wallerstein, he said, if if your wife asks you if you look, if she looks fat and she looks fat, you should say, honey, this, this you don't look good enough. You should change. You should tell her. You should be honest. Women want honesty. Now, I was sitting there and <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, they, they do want honesty. Honesty is a really important part of a relationship. But I, I don't think someone is going to survive if they say the word, yes, you do look fat in this dress. I, I just would imagine that. So, so what I said was, um, you know, if we could disagree, I would just simply say that I don't think that that really is accurate. I think that most people, you know, have to be very cautious with what the words that they're going to choose next, because this might be a, a trap and a question. But usually, and this was the aside that I said, most people, most this, women do this a lot. Um, they ask questions when they're really trying to say a statement. So if you think about it, woman's primal emotional need, it's to feel good. The stipler would say, to be nimtzachem be'enebala, to feel good about herself. So if a husband comes home and his wife just spent hours getting dressed and there's stuff all over the place and he hasn't said anything, so she might make a comment like, what, do I look fat? She doesn't, she doesn't think for, in her, in, for a second in her brain that that's a real question. She wasn't really asking you, do I look fat? She was really asking you, why haven't you made a comment yet? Right? We're about to go out. Why haven't you said anything? Like, don't you know my primal need is to feel good about myself? To be nimtzachem be'enibala, you're my husband. Why didn't you say there's something wrong? A lot of times when, when when people will serve food, they'll say, "Oh, is it too salty?" 
they don't really care if it's too salty. That's not the point of their question, right? They are packaging an emotion in words because like we always say, marriages don't speak English. They speak emotion in words. So she's saying, why haven't you complimented the food yet? Why haven't you said something yet? And if you look at it in a literal sense and you go, yes, you're fat. Yeah, the food is salty. You're really clueless about what your spouse needs from you emotionally. So therefore, you'd be very, very careful before you say the words, yeah, you look fat. Because that is so not what she's asking in, in 9 out of 10 times. Now, Rabbi Wallenstein, Kedarkoy, he stood up and he said, come on, ladies, don't you want honesty? And a thousand people jumped out. Yeah, we want honesty. And he literally had like this, everyone was screaming and yelling at me that, yeah, we want honesty. And, and that's all we want. And we just want transparency and honesty. And if we look back, tell us we look back. So I sat down, I said, listen, I could prove to you that I'm right because there's not one man alive in this room that has told his wife, yeah, you look back. And everyone was like laughing, but he was very adamant about this idea. So Mrs. Jackie Beaton stood up and she said, I have a resolution here. This is what I want to talk about. She said, I have a resolution. The resolution is that we're both right. Meaning to say as follows, that when a couple attains a certain level in their relationship, they oftentimes will allow the other person to step into their side of the Venn diagram. They allow them into an area which is much more sensitive than it naturally would be. So she was saying that what I was saying was true for the beginning of marriage, meaning to say the beginning of a relationship, be very, very careful. You don't go ahead and you know, tell your spouse, yeah, you don't look good and the food's not good and everything's bad, right? And dress this way. And you don't do that because you're stepping into the other part of the Venn diagram. And therefore it's very dangerous. I don't want to use the word abuse. I don't want to use any of these like terms that are thrown around loosely, but you're stepping into an area which is really inappropriate, not your place. You don't do that. And if you do that, oftentimes you'll feel a lot of pushback. But when your marriage attains a certain level, that level, Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, right, building something for so many years, he was saying, in my house, we can talk certain openness, a certain, there's, there's not, there's no walls anymore. There's more of a blurring between, I'm not so offended by you saying something to me, even though it might be on my side of things. And if, if, if a person is able to attain that and they invite the person into that side of their world, it's so beautiful. But if they try too early, they're going to find a lot of re rejection and pushback and hostility. And there's such a fine balance over here between people who try this too early in the relationship where they really need to implement the Venn diagram. And then when they build enough trust and enough respect and enough openness that the person is able to step into that world. And then it's just so beautiful. I remember I was married for, I'm going to say probably eight or nine years. And I came home one day and I was like really stressed. I had like a lot on my mind. I came home and a lot of times when I get stressed, I'm like, I'm really tired. I have to get into bed. I'm exhausted. I came home and I texted my wife on the way home. I just want you to know I'm, I'm super stressed. I'm exhausted. I, like, I need to come home. I need to go to sleep. I came home. And 
I, I, I was expecting my wife to say, oh yeah, for sure, you know, go to sleep, no problem. And as I came home and <laughs> the minute I came in the door, my wife turned to me, she's like, oh, I see you really had a long day and you have so much on your mind and you're so stressed. I said, yes. Yeah. So she said, can I ask you a question? Would you like to hang up window shades? I said, why on the world would you think that I want to hang up window shades now? I just texted you that I'm falling apart. Why would I want to hang up window shades? So I said, if you'll allow me, I'll explain it. She said, because I know you and I know that what you need is to feel accomplished. And when you're feeling stressed, it's because things are stuck. Things that you're working on, projects, work, whatever the case may be, you get like stuck. And when you get stuck, you're, 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 you're stressed. And therefore you feel like I need to go to sleep. So, but I know you at this point in our relationship, I know you, I know you well enough. And I know that if you put up those window shades, which are sitting here for weeks and you haven't done it yet, if you put up those shades, you take a step back and be like, wow, I accomplished something tonight. I feel good about myself tonight. And then you'll, you'll get out of this slump that you're in. I was like, you know what? I trust you. Right? At this point, I trust you. And I hung up those window shades and I felt really good. I didn't take a nap. It was a moment where I was, instead of having that wall, it was like allowing that person in. I learned this because there was a person that I, I knew very, very well. This person was diagnosed with Yanamafa. They had colon cancer. And after the person had surgery, the doctor came in to talk to them and their spouse. They married like 40 years. And the doctor came in and said, you know, the recovery here can be on the fastest, fastest end. It's usually about a month and it could be as much as three months. So for the first week, we really don't recommend you do anything. And then you slowly get back to yourself and then you probably have to go through physical therapy and all of that. The wife who was sitting there, she, she heard everything. She said, okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, she then followed the doctor out of the, out of the room and said to the doctor, I have a question for you. When somebody lays in bed for weeks on end, their body just gets stale, right? And then a lot of the recovery is due to the fact that they didn't recover fast enough. How dangerous would it be for me to really push my husband, like physically? The doctor was like, I mean, you could just, you know, she's like, no, what if I like really got involved, like almost like as a physical therapist, like, would that be like dangerous? She's like, no, you know, see what happened. So she came into the room. And she turned to her husband and she said, okay, he's like ready to go to sleep. He's like, okay, let's go. Okay. I'm going to help you sit up. He's like, sit up. I'm fresh out of surgery. I can't move. She's like, okay, let's start like moving your feet. I'm laying in bed. She just started like moving his legs. And within a day, she got him to stand up and start walking across the room. Within two days, he was like in the hallway. He was walking up and down. And within a week, he's like, he, I sat with him. He said, I am, I'm back to myself. The doctor said, he never saw such a fast recovery. He allowed his wife into an area which most people, they rebuff. Don't tell me what to do. Don't push my buttons. Don't push me to do something that you're not necessarily invited to. But because their marriage was at a certain level, there was a certain trust. There was a certain openness that they allowed themselves to be perhaps a little bit uncomfortable and they allowed themselves to be brought to a certain level which they wouldn't have otherwise been able to attain. That, I believe, is what Rashi is saying. You, you, you see in the person the influence of the spouse, even in an area which is not necessarily conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, let the man go to work and wear whatever tie he wants to wear. But in this specific area, the relationship got to the point where he turns to his wife and he says, hey, you know, can you bring me down a tie? 
pick out which one would you like? You like this one or this one? There's a conversation here. And when she says, no, I don't like either of those. We're a third one. Like, no problem. It's not a challenge. It's, it's love. It's accepted. It's respected. Openness. All the terms that are thrown around, it's not just thrown around. It's actually, actually built. So that's that idea. Now, why is this husband sitting at the gates? What's going on over here? So the Malbim explains that we know, we find this by, by Bayaz, and we find this by many times, that the gates in the days of Chazal were the place where the Sanhedrin used to sit. The, the Bezdin, the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin Agadol, Sanhedrin Akatan, they used to sit by the gates. Obviously, there was in the Beis HaMikdash, but specifically by the gates, so that was where the Hamid HaChamim, and specifically the Sanhedrin would sit. And therefore, if you are Medayik in the Pesukim, if you read them carefully, the Malam says, there's something going on over here. We didn't really talk much about the husband of the Aisha's Kyle until now. She's cooking, cleaning, running businesses, doing all these things. And then, who's her husband? Like, who's this lucky guy, right? Her husband is known by the gates. In the area where, where what? Where the Sanhedrin sit. The Shifta, when he's sitting, with the Zikanim. He's sitting with the elders. Why is he sitting there? Because he's part of them. That's who he is. How did he become that great of a man? Seems like his wife did all this work so far, right? She went through all these steps over here. She's doing everything. And her husband attained the level of becoming part of the Sanhedrin. How did he get this overnight? The answer is it didn't happen overnight. Part of being an Asha style part of being a supportive husband is the idea that your values start to become one. It's not him versus her. It's, it's us. Our emotions are not him versus her. It's us. I always say like you could tell when a couple asks a Shaila if, if they're strong or if they're not. If their Shaila comes across, I say this and she says this, then it's usually, it's still two units. It's me versus her. And now we need you to tell us who's right. Am I right or are they right? Versus somebody saying, we have a Shaila. We have two options. Option A is this and option B is this. Well, where did you get those two options from? You got it from him and from her. But because they view themselves as a unit, it's now a new unit. And the unit has two possibilities. It is so beautiful and it's so subtle and it doesn't happen right away. It takes time to develop. But when a couple gets to that point where we have a Shaila, we are asking a question together, you're able to see that they've attained a level of what I would call long-term Kesher. Long-term Kesher is the difference, the difference between long-term Kesher and short-term Kesher. A short-term connection with your spouse is that you're dialed in. You come home, you see the spouse's emotion. What do they need? You buy them something nice. You write them a card. That's short-term. It's day by day. Every day you have to do that. The long-term connection with your spouse is that you say to your spouse, after 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, we're thinking the same. We're, we're processing this the same. We're, our values are the same. We're becoming a new unit. Not just the idea of, you know, Ravari Levine, our foot hurts us. But you're constantly thinking, like, my spouse, what can they become? What are their goals? What is their inner potential? How can I bring this out? They have a dream of something. Stop telling them, no, you can't do it. No, you can't do it. No, you could do it. I believe in you. Oh, but they failed twice before. Okay. 
Everybody who ever made anything worthwhile in this world failed probably a thousand times. It's part of the, the process is that you actually really believe in your spouse's potential. He's sitting at the gates. Forget his clothes. He's sitting at the gates because his wife believed in him. His wife believed in his ability to learn. His wife, that's, that's the pshat. It's not that he was this massive tamachachim. He wasn't the best guy in BMG. There's only one best guy in BMG. What, what the Pasuk is telling you is that your husband can finish us. Your husband can give a share. Your husband can start a chesed organization. Your wife can become the, the whatever. In the organization that gives out gowns or, or gamach. For, your wife can do it. You believe in her. If you trust her. If you empower her. The reason why he is what he is is because there's a wife who put in the energy to make that happen. And I think that when many couples get started out, because they're trying to find their footing, they will say things like, oh, I know what my spouse is going to say anyways. Oh, oh, he always says this. Almost like in a condescending way. A lot of times you hear a young couple say that. Oh, my husband would say this. Or he always says that. It's like there's me and there's him and I'm, I'm getting to know him. I'm getting to know her. What, what this Pasuk is saying is something different. It's that after many years, you look at yourself and you say to yourself, wow, that, that Nita that I have is so much because of my spouse, because of my wife, because of my husband. Their compassion became part of me. You always tell Hassanim that when a man hears that his friend had a baby, let's say a boy, so his brain goes, oh my gosh, we have a Shalom Zachar this Friday night, right? Shalom Zachar, what time? Eight o'clock, wonderful, who's picking me up? It's his brain, right? A woman's brain is a totally different brain. The brain that says, how's she feeling? How's the baby? What do they, what do they need to be sent over for the Shalom Zachar? Do they need any guests to be hosted in our house? Does she need suppers during the week? All those questions are not simply questions. They're the emotion that you now infuse into your family. And I always like to think that within every relationship, there's there's two people that have varying skill sets. And if you view yourself as a unit, then those skill sets start to become part of the then, the middle. So that you you do both start to perceive perceive the world through your spouse's lens. So she knows she has to make another meal for somebody else and her husband will drive it over. They become part of this chesed team, this dynamo, this duo, that's now not just one person who has the emotion and one person who has the logic, one person who has the drive and one person who has the compassion. But you become a blended unit where both of those things are now one. That's your family. And it's recognizable on the husband who the wife is and on the wife who the husband is. Instead of just simply saying, oh, that's what my spouse would say, they say, you're saying it but it came about through your spouse, through their words, through their input, without ever trying to change the person. Trying to change them is Shana Rishayna. Once you're past that and you realize there's, there's so much panemius here, there's so much depth, there's so much that we're able to relate to each other, so much we're able to give into this middle pot, then your whole relationship just totally transforms. I'd like to think that it almost transcends like 99% of relationships. It's such a death doesn't happen in most in most cases.
There's a couple, just as a, a small thought. There's a couple where the wife was saying to Hillam every day for like 50 years. And then during COVID, because they were in close, close quarters for so long, at the end of COVID, the husband was able to get out of the house. And then something happened. And he turned and he pulled out from his drawer, he pulled out a Tehillim. And he made a comment like, wow, she really rubbed off on me. I thought it was a very beautiful comment. For all those years, it was there, it was there, it was there. She never said, why don't you say more Tehillim? Why don't you daven more? Nothing. It was there. And then because they were in close proximity, it just rubbed off so much more. Now, now it's part of him. He caught that bug. He caught that Tehillim bug. So beautiful. Something that was hers is now yours. It, it's become exchanged. I think that's this idea. Who are you? You become something new. Why do you become something new? Well, because I'm married. So beautiful. And the third idea, if we can, is based on the measure. So we always say that every Pasuk is based on a person. Who is this person? Who is this person? So the Medrash says this is none other than Michal Bas Shaul. Who was Michal Bas Shaul? She was Shaul Amelov's daughter. She was married to David, right? She was married to David. And David had a very complex relationship with Shaul, right? His father-in-law, who had tried to have him killed on many occasions, right? And it says in the Medrash that this is Michal Bas Shaul, Shehitzila David Minhamisa, that saved David from death. What is that referring to? When did she save her husband from death? So, in fact, she saved her husband from a very specific death. And that was when her father, David Amalek's father-in-law, had sent agents to David Amalek's house to assassinate him, to kill him. This was before he was king, obviously. And she snuck him out the window. She made his bed look like somebody was sleeping there by putting pillows and blankets underneath the blanket. She told them he's sleeping right now. He's not available. They waited, 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 and he was able to escape. And then they came in and they realized that they were tricked. They brought her to their father and, and she, she said, yeah, he, he forced me and I couldn't say anything and she saved her own life. But that was the moment in time that Michal got this title of Neide Bashar Ambayla. Why? Because David Amelech, besides becoming a king from, you know, obviously saving his life, David Amelech was, the Gemara talks it, talks about this a lot, that David HaMelech was within the Messiah of, of Perishabal Peh, that was David HaMelech. He was part of the link. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He wasn't just a king. He was an extremely learned man to the point where he was the leader of the generation. He sat with the Sanhedrin. He led the Sanhedrin. So that is, that is Michal Bashal. Now, why is this important? Because essentially, and I don't want to get into trouble here, but essentially, when if you think about it, she had to make a choice. On the one hand, she had her father. Her father believed that David Amalek was, at that point he wasn't David Amalek, at that point he was David, that he was Meir Bumachas, and he was, you know, liable right, to get killed. And then you had David, who obviously didn't believe that, and who had to go on the run. And she had to choose between her father and between her husband. Now, Rather than go down this path, which is going to become a very slippery slope in this chair, don't want to do that right now. Um, I I think that there, there's a point here, and then I want to jump on this point to a different point, which is that she made a choice. She had to choose between her father and her husband, and she chose her husband. 
Now, what, where do I want to go with this? I think that on an emotional level, most people, when they're single, what goes into their brain when they're faced with a dilemma is, oh my gosh, I have to ask my mother. I have to ask my father. Even like gangsters, criminals, when they get like thrown into prison, they cry in court and they're like, mama, you know, they're like, you just killed 10 people, but they're like, underneath there, deep in there, they're like crying for their mother. It, it's so part of who we are that even the Pasuk says, my person has to leave that behind. It's not, it's not a physical, I don't want to use the word abandonment in that ziva, like a leaving, but it's an emotional disconnection that happens as a, a person steps into the next role, which is you, you connect, you cling to your spouse. So what happens in the natural progression of a, of a couple is that when most people get married, in the beginning of their marriage, when there's an issue, the person's brain or the person's emotion all of a sudden goes, I have to ask my father, I have to ask my mother. And then as the time goes on, of course, we respect our parents. And of course, we defer to our parents. And of course, there's the myths of keep it of aim. But at a certain point, the person's primary emotional need gets fulfilled by their spouse. And I believe that this is part of what this Pasuk is relating to us. That we, have, of course, have our mitzvah of kibbutz of aim. That never goes away. And I'm not going to get into halakhas here of a wife choosing between kibbutz of aim and her husband and what comes first. We're not even going there for the moment. And even in the Q&A. Right? We're not going there. Right? I don't want to get into that sticky situation of, of, of untangling that. But in the general sense, I think that a person, if you want to know a litmus test for your relationship becoming strong or testing the strength of your relationship, it's when it hits that moment, that mark, when you go, oh my gosh, I have to ask my husband. Let me check in with my wife. When that becomes so second nature, it's so like it just rolls off your tongue. When somebody says, hey, you want to do this? Let me ask my wife. You want to go? You want to go here? Let me ask my husband. Or you heard about this? Yeah, my husband always says this. It just becomes the the second nature. Your unit is now blending. So before all these psukim we were talking about providing, it was her. It was him. You're getting somewhere. There's trust. right? You you believe the person's not out to get you, and all the all the levels that we've built to. I think in this class we've turned the corner. That we're not two anymore. We're, we're one. If we're one, we're one unit, then we have a marriage. Because davak is, is devak, is glue. It takes two separate units and it, it blends it into one. One cohesive unit. Can't really see the difference between this, the, the, the one and the two. It's all one. Now, obviously, it has to be done smart. It can't just be done build. You can't just be wild and stepping into, into your spouse's boundaries when you're not invited. But when you are invited... When there is trust, just, just so beautiful. It transforms the person. The person becomes a new person. They're sitting there in the Sanhedrin and they're thinking, wow, I am the luckiest guy in the world because I have this person in my life. That feeling is a real feeling. It's not short-term. It's not something you get in Sheva Brachas. Certainly not when you're engaged. You could be infatuated all you want. You could think you got the greatest person all you want, which is good. It's good, it's good to have those thoughts hopefully hopefully you do think that i'm not saying you shouldn't think that but to think that you attain this level right away it's not possible 
It takes time. It takes years. When you do develop it, it's just such an incredible level. It's 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 like transcends. You're floating. You're now like a totally different unit. So that's the idea. The shift names like Nered. We're now at a new stage. And from here till the end, hopefully we're going to go in with that lens of what it means to have a relationship on such a deep level. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.